0: Hello, my dear friends, and welcome to this week's edition of the Parsha Podcast. My name is Rabbi Yakov Wolby. The email address is rabbiwolby.jima.com. I am currently located in Canada on day nine of a 14-day mandatory quarantine for all visitors to Canada. Thank God, even though we've been sheltered in place for nine days, we're doing fabulous. Everyone's feeling great. I hope you and yours are feeling great As well. This week is Parsha's Pinchas, the second longest Parsha in the Torah. And I would like to share what I find to be a very valuable concept and a theme of the Parsha and a related observation. So we're going to start with the observation and hopefully we will circle back to it after we share the main message that we want to share. So our Parsha has two promotions. The Parsha begins, of course, the eponymous hero of the Parsha is Pinchas. Pinchas is Moshe's great-nephew, the son of his nephew, Elazar. And he initially was not a Kohen, even though he is a direct descendant of Aaron the Kohen. He's Aaron's grandson. When Aaron was anointed as a Kohen, it was only him and his four sons, and all sons that would be born subsequently. Because Pinchas was alive at the time of, of the inauguration of Aaron and his sons, Penchos was a standard issue Levite and not a coin. But in this parsha, because of his valorous, valiant act of zealotry, he was made into an eternal coin. That's one promotion that happens in our parsha. A second promotion is given to Joshua. Moshe finds out that the decree barring him from entry to the land of Israel is fixed in stone, and therefore he asks God for a replacement for a successor. And God tells him, okay, take Joshua. Joshua is your protege. Joshua's been with you at your side. He never departed your side for 40 years. He's going to be your successor. Moshe, in fact, thought that his sons were going to be his successor. That's what the Midrash tells us. But the Almighty tells him, no, Joshua is going to be your successor after your passing. In Moshe's view, there were worthier candidates, but Joshua is promoted to be the heir apparent of Moshe in our Parsha. So I think it's an interesting observation to contrast these two people that were given promotions in our Parsha. Joshua, Moshe's protege, never departed his side. Pinchas, his great Nephew. And I think these two people, two of course the great leaders in our history, are actually quite different and maybe even opposite. So I think it's an interesting question to ponder, and maybe an observation that we'll get back to, the different paths that Joshua and, and Phineas and Pinchas took to achieve their promotions. But one of the ideas of the Parsha that I think is worthy of inquiry is what we find at the end of the Parsha. At the end of the Parsha, it talks about the various sacrifices that are offered in the Temple, earlier in the Mishnah in the Tabernacle, on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, and on the various holidays and festivals. And it starts off by telling us that there are daily, what's called tamid offerings. The word tamid means... Always ongoing, consistent. The first sacrifice that's brought in the temple in the on every day is the morning tamid, the morning daily sacrifice, and the last sacrifice done each day is the afternoon daily sacrifice. Those two sacrifices are the bookends of everything else that is done throughout the day in the temple. All the various other sacrifices that are done. Now, if you study this particular portion of our Parsha, you'll notice an interesting pattern. By every one of the festivals, where it talks about the various sacrifices that are brought on that festival, it reiterates that you still do the daily Tamid sacrifice. So it talks about Shabbos. On Shabbos, you bring various sacrifices, extra sacrifices for Shabbos in honor of Shabbos. But don't forget the daily sacrifice. Rosh Chodesh, first day of the month. Pesach, Sukkot, Shavuot, the three festivals, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the year. Don't forget the daily sacrifice that's done every day, regardless of any specials of the day. The average Tuesday, the average Wednesday, and the holiest day of the year, Yom Kippur, they are all equal in that the first sacrifice of the day and the last sacrifice of the day are the daily Tamid sacrifices. Obviously, there is something very important in this Tammet sacrifice that we have to reiterate, don't get the misimpression that when there's a festival, a holiday, Om Kippur, Rosh Hashanah, Shabbos, don't get the misimpression that because of the awesomeness of the day, you can disregard the daily sacrifice that you bring every day. And there's a very interesting Midrash that's quoted by the Maharal. He quotes a fascinating debate that the various sages had. They were arguing which verse in the Torah encapsulates the overarching message of the Torah. Of course, the Torah has many thousands of verses, and there's many different mitzvot, and there's many different stories and personalities. There's a lot happening in the Torah. But what's the bottom line? What's the essence of the message that the Torah wants to convey? So the first opinion is the opinion of Ben Zoma, one of the sages of the Mishnahic era. And he says that I can find you one verse that really has it all. And he quotes the verse that we are trained to know as children, Shema Yisrael, Hashem achad, Hero Israel, believe in God. The declaration of Jewish faith. That is the one verse that really encapsulates all of Torah. Comes along a second sage and he says, no, I could find a more inclusive verse, a verse that really captures the essence of Torah. And he quotes the verse Leviticus, you should love your fellow as yourself. That's the verse that really tells the whole story in a succinct, distilled version. Comes along to the third opinion, Shimon Vimpazi. He says, no, I will tell you a verse that really, really incorporates it all. And he quotes the verse, of the Tamid sacrifice. you do the morning sacrifice and you do the afternoon sacrifice. And the Midrash concludes that they agreed that the correct answer is indeed that the Tamid sacrifice really encapsulates all of Torah. So this Midrash, of course, is fascinating in general. This idea that we could discover, you know, the essence of the Torah, that we could ask the question even, you know, what's the forest of the Torah? What's this culmination of all the details of all the trees? But I think if you read the conclusions of the Midrash, you know, the first to make a lot of sense, declaration of faith, the verse of the Shema, that is the verse that we say, the first thing we train to say as children, the last things we say on our deathbed, that makes a lot of sense. Perhaps, if we were to make a list of the most important verses of the Torah, that would make the top ten, top five, maybe even number one. Comes along to the second opinion, ben i says, Well, there's the golden rule. Love your fellow as yourself. And in fact, there's precedent for that. Rabbi Akiva, he famously said about this verse, Ze Klal, Gadol, bat This is a great general principle of Torah. But the Midrash concludes that the daily sacrifice is so important that that really tells the whole story of the Torah. How, pray tell, does this verse detailing the two sacrifices done every day, how is that the essence of all of Torah? So the Maral explains a very powerful idea. What a person does, the mitzvahs that a person does, consistently, with regularity, never takes a day off. That is the areas where they demonstrate their subservience to God. Our relationship with God is supposed to be like a master with a servant. And a servant is not someone who departs from the master when things get a little uncomfortable, who takes off days, who has vacation, who has working hours come to me when it's working hours. Oh no. A true servant is someone who does not depart from his master, rather services him, always. The essence of Torah is that we submit ourselves to God; we become servants of God. The rest of Torah's commentary exactly how to do that, but the essence is the consistency that really demonstrates that my identity is not one of, a, of an individual person, someone who could behave how, however they want, rather it's someone who is committed, subservient to God completely. What's the goal of Torah? The goal of Torah is to be a servant of God. What does it mean to be a servant of God? It means that your own individual identity is subject to the will of the Master. When someone does something every day, rain or shine, whether they're in the mood of it, or they're not in the mood of it, irrespective of whatever else is happening on that particular day, that makes that thing sacrosanct. It is uninfluenced by circumstance. Those are the things, the things that a person is really consistent in, those are the things that demonstrate their commitment to God. And there is no mitzvah that embodies that more than the tamid sacrifice every day. Don't think that when it's Shabbos, the Rosh Chodesh first day of the month, the festival, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, don't think that we can neglect it. Everything else that we do, everything else that we aspire to do, is all built upon this base of consistency. This is the base. This is the foundation. This is sacrosanct. And on top of this, we can perhaps build our edifice. And this is a very deep point over here. To the degree that we are consistent in what we do, we become servants of God. Well, what about the themes that we're not consistent with? So if you read this Midrash, it tells us that this daily sacrifice, they did it every day, they did it for hundreds of years, not missing a day. In the morning, in the afternoon. And that really demonstrates what Torah is about. But we can infer from this Midrash... That in the areas that were not consistent, we are indeed not servants of God. Even if we do do it occasionally, often, almost all the time, but if it's not consistent, completely consistent, like the Tammid sacrifice, it shows that in those areas we are still not subject to God. And there is a central pillar of Jewish philosophy that says that if you're not subject to God, you are subject to the foreign god, which which is what we call the Yitzhahara. It's a very scary idea. There could be things that we do, but we don't do them consistently. They're occasional. There are still lapses in those areas. The Yitzhahara, the foreign god, still reigns supreme. Now, I want to just stress, that's okay. That's by design. That's what it means to be human, But I think this idea, this midrash, paints for us an amazing picture. What we do consistently is is ours. That's who we are. That's when our identity is that of subservience to God. That's when we have fulfilled the objective of Torah. Everything else, even things that we do do most of the time, that's still negotiable. That's still on the table. That's still up in the air. And that is the battlefront. And the model that we're told over here is, Shabbos, Rosh Chodesh, Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah, festivals. Don't forget the Tamid. Don't forget to defend the homeland. You may want to expand, and that's great. But don't forget the things that are consistent and the things that really, when you do them consistently, you're embodying the message of Torah. That's what the Karpentumet is. That's what the Tamid sacrifice, the daily sacrifice is. That refers to the consistent part of our relationship with God and the areas in which we are truly dedicated to him. Now, the importance of consistency is found in many places in Jewish literature. If you think about it, it's almost like when someone reciprocates God's goodness is when they do consistently. Meaning, God... Is always bestowing us with goodness. That's his relationship with the world. If he takes a day off, we're doomed. When someone reciprocates, they are in fact emulating God. My grandfather, Blessed Memory, has a line in one of his books where he writes, Avodah Hashem, which means service of God. What does that mean? So the Talmud tells us that means prayer. But he adds a second interpretation. And that is when someone does something consistently, that catapults them into the realm of service of God. What is service of God? To be a servant is only when you do something consistently. If you do it periodically, occasionally, even if it's almost always, it's not yet indicative of service of God. The Talmud tells us that when someone dies, they are interrogated by God and by the heavenly court, there is an accounting and a reckoning that they have to give. And the Talmud tells us, in the book of Shabbos, page 31a, that they are given in this post-mortem interrogation six questions. One of them is, Kavata Itamah Torah. Did you study Torah with consistency? Did you designate times of the day to study Torah? And th- what this reveals is, is they're not asking about the volume of study, but the Consistency of it. When someone does something consistently, it makes them a landowner, a citizen of the spiritual world. And therefore, at the gates of the spiritual world, we have to investigate if this person is indeed a good candidate to enter its gates. If someone studies when they're in the mood, but when they're not in the mood, they don't study. So, of course, we don't denigrate anything that's holy. Anything that's holy is valuable, is important, is cherished. But that is still not indicative of someone fulfilling the requirement in this world. Only when someone designates time for study, and when that time comes, everything else goes away, only then does someone become a citizen of the spiritual world and pass the test. This idea is found elsewhere in the Talmud as the elixir of a long life. The Talmud of the Book of Megillah, page 27b, records a series of conversations that happened with students of great sages who lived long lives. And it's really interesting, if you think about it, if the sage tells you, I can reveal to you the secret of a long life, everyone, of course, should perk up and listen. So the students come to Rabbi Elizabeth and Shemua, and they tell him, and they ask the question, why did you live a long life? So he responds, that I never made the shul, the house of prayer, a shortcut. If I had the opportunity to walk through the shul and get to the other side or walk all the way around, I would always walk all the way around. And I never, when I walked to my seat in the lecture hall, I never made it appear like I'm stepping on people's heads. And I never did the duchening. I never did the priestly blessings without a blessing. And that's the secret to my long life. And the obvious question is, wait a minute, if you're going to live a long life, you have to do something very, very meritorious to earn it. But he gives the answer, which things that seem to be quite trivial, never making the shul into shortcut, never walking in a way that belittles other people. And that's one story. And it goes on to the other rabbi, Rabbi Breda. Why did you live a long life? And he says, well, I was the first one to come to the study hall. And I never did the blessing in front of a kohen. And I never ate from an animal before the portions that go to the Kohain were dispersed. And Rabbi Chum Akana, why did you live a long life? I never got honor with the disgrace of my fellow man. I never was angry at someone when I went to sleep. And it gives five sages, and each one of them, they're sharing their tips for a long life. And there doesn't seem to be any similarity between the two. But the truth is that they are revealing the secret to their longevity each one of them begins their explanation of why they live a long life with the following words. Me, am I. Throughout my days, I did X, Y, and Z. When someone does something consistently, they become the owners of some spiritual property that becomes an area in which they are a servant of God. And therefore, in those areas, they are a servant to God and they are not a servant to the foreign God. And therefore, the foreign god, i.e. the angel of death, does not have dominion over them. And therefore, they live a long life. Of course, these things, on their own, you know, not making the shul a shortcut, it's very nice. It accords honor to the shul. But is that the biggest thing in the world? No. But when it's done consistently, that person is carving out for themselves a portion in the spiritual world that removes them from the dominion of the foreign forces. What this creates for us is is a certain structure. When someone does something consistently, it's theirs, it's the area in which they're committed to God, and everything else is the territory that they still need to capture. And you know what? If the territory that you have is small, that's okay. You're human. You're not an angel. And that, in fact, is why you're here, because we're not perfect, and we're trying to improve ourselves. You look at the carpentamid, the daily sacrifice. Is this the biggest myth in the world? No. But its very name, and the way it's done, connotes consistency. Every day. Everything else that comes is in addition to this baseline. If we are searching for a verse that encapsulates what the Torah wants to transform us into, this is it. Through this consistency, irrespective of the absolute volume of a given mitzvah, you become a servant of God, and you develop an eternal connection to Him, and you're able to fulfill your destiny, fulfill your mission. This week on Thursday, in fact, is the 17th day of Thomas. This is the beginning of a period called the Three Weeks of Mourning, that culminates in the ninth day of of. So these are sad days for the Jewish people. In fact, the Talmud tells us that five calamities befell our people on the 17th day of Talmud. In fact, it's a fast day. We don't eat or drink unless someone is ill in any way. We don't eat or drink from morning to night. Now, the Talmud lists the five calamities that befell the Jewish people. One of them is that this is the day that the carbon tumid, the tumid sacrifice, the tumid offering ceased? And then it adds on this day, the walls of Jerusalem were breached. It made me think consistency makes us elevated, it makes us spiritual. It is the tool to defend ourselves against our enemies. It's what we need for a long life. Once we lose this national institution of the daily sacrifice, we become vulnerable, and indeed the temple in Jerusalem are on the chopping block, they could be destroyed. But this also shows us how it can all be reversed. If we carve out for ourselves a little corner that's ours, a little part of our relationship with God, that is non-negotiable, that's sacrosanct, that's immutable, then we are doing our part to reverse the calamities of the 17th day of Thomas. Let's go back to Joshua. Moshe needs a successor. And God tells him Joshua is the one. And we've wondered this question before, you know, why exactly was Joshua selected? And the reader tells us that Joshua's most outstanding quality was his dedication to Moshe and to his continuous study under his tutelage. Joshua is described in scripture as the lad who never departed from the tent. He was always with Moshe. Joshua is exactly like the carbon tumid, like the daily sacrifice. What Pinchas did, that was an act that outshines any individual act of Joshua's life. And while, of course, Pinchas is justly rewarded for that act, he's given a promotion, Joshua is a more worthy candidate to succeed Moshe. I think the lesson for us from this partial, one of the lessons for us from this partial, is to try to find something that is ours, an area in our lives that we can say, in this area, I'm subject to God, not to the foreign God. It doesn't have to be something big. We're here to work. The struggle is expected. But in this partial, we are taught that it is only the things that we are consistent in that really demonstrate our connection to God. Let's pitch something small. Nay. Let's pitch something tiny. Think about how small some of these practices of the sages they give them a long life for. Not to make the shul into a shortcut. That's very small. But when a small, tiny thing is done consistently, it can catapult someone to previously unobtainable heights. Who was greater? Joshua or all the other candidates for leadership? In our Parsha, we read how Joshua was selected because he was consistent. For 40 years, he was always at Moshe's side, studying from him, learning from him, absorbing from him, and that consistency made him the best candidate. The lesson for us is, to try to find something that we can do, that we can take on, that we can accept upon ourselves, maybe a resolution, provided that we can do it consistently, rain or shine. It doesn't matter if it's Shabbos, if it's Rosh Chodesh, if it's the festivals, if it is Yom Kippur or Shoshana, doesn't matter. Let's create a base. It could be the smallest base, but if it's firm, upon that we can truly build our spiritual edifice. Thank you so much for listening. Have an amazing Shabbos, and I look forward to speaking to you all next time. My email address is rabbiwol.jibba.com I'd love to hear from you. Any questions, any comments, any feedback is always appreciated.